You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Shot flew up. Oh, he's toying with him now. <laughs> hey, Caitlin. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Really good. Uh, really good because we have a guest today. His name is Eric. Who's joining us to talk about the highs and the lows, but mostly the lows of tennis commentating. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me on. One of my favorite things that you said when you and I were emailing about before you came on the main draw is the state of tennis media, which is something that Chris and I talk a good amount about. Obviously, we have our favorite writers and our favorite commentators, um, and obviously our not-so-favorite ones. Talk to me about this subject. Is this something you've given a lot of thought to? Yeah, well, you know, it's like I, I've been watching tennis and playing tennis uh, for years and years now, and, and I always felt like like when I was a kid and watching like Sampras and, you know, Agassi and all those folks in the 90s and um, that one, I, I never felt like I learned enough from watching the commentators on the, you know, when the matches were getting kind of broken down as they go. They were often kind of reduced into this like very generic kind of story of kind of contrast personalities. There's all this like nationalism around things. And then specific, you know, particularly when we've kind of gotten into like this era where, you know, America has had this kind of kind of a drought of talent for a long period. It, you know, it, it, it's like there's all this kind of moaning about how it's like the end of the world where we have these very beautiful players uh, playing amazing games and, you know, setting amazing records right now. So it's like actually kind of a golden age in tennis. And I feel like there's something about journalism isn't able to kind of capture that fully and kind of communicate that even to a kind of maybe the more casual fans. And then, I, you know, I, I feel like also like, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in New York and occasionally, you know, I get to go to the U.S. Open and, you know, and, and see a little bit of live tennis. And, you know, I think there's also a lot of economics around the sport that, like, is increasingly making it expensive to kind of access. And, like, you know, I, I think that, you know, people maybe aren't able to kind of take part in it in the way that they maybe could when it was a little lower stakes of a game. And so, I, you know, I feel like that kind of golden age of storytelling around the like seventies and eighties when tennis kind of had a kind of swagger and there was kind of it was a roughness to it is uh, something that's kind of missing today. It strikes me that a lot of what you just talked about has to do with broadcast television, not necessarily tennis writing or like the occasional radio stream. We're talking about TV commentary. When I look right? at like tennis writing, like occasionally you see some articles pop up around a grand slam that have some depth, but for the most part, it's just like reintroducing the sport every time you see it. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really good way to put it. It's like a little bit like the soccer thing where it's like, all right, America, take a deep breath. Here's what soccer is. <laughs> every every World Cup. Yeah, totally. You just hit on something really interesting. Um, for me, the commentary kind of hits this middle ground that serves no one, neither the tennis super fan who really wants insightful window into the strategy. Like I talked to Petra Kvitova's coach and she's going to try to execute this pattern to the backhand to open up the deuce court, um, which would be really useful if you followed the sport close, closely. Nor does it do the kind of thing that you're talking about where you actually explain like what the spin does to the ball and why that's interesting. So we end up in this like land of cliches that assumes that we only care about Americans for some reason. <laughs> you know, Some writer is right to your smart friend who can understand tennis but just needs an entry point. Uh, and I don't know what that sounds like on TV, but I would love to find yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I feel like you know Foster Wallace is a good you know, example of, um, 
you know, I'm somebody, one of the few people I know that, you know, finished Infinite Jest. And I think it was because I was a tennis fan and I um, was able to kind of latch on to that part of it to kind of get me through the slower parts. Right. You know, his best writing, in fact, I think was not necessarily the piece about Federer, but the stuff that was about like some of the maybe more obscure players where he was able to kind of express uh, kind of a particular passion. Um, but I, you know, kind of follow your, you kind of maybe even just start talking a little trash. Like the, you know, one thing that I saw in my lifetime on the commentary level is like, you know, there was this moment when, you know, McEnroe retired and he kind of made the transition in the commentary. And like, that was really exciting because you had like this like all time great coming in and kind of sharing his wisdom. You know, there was all this hope because he had this kind of insider kind of view into the locker room. And I think in the early days, especially when, compared to some of the folks maybe who were speaking at that time, like it, it felt refreshing and it felt like, yeah, he had something to offer. But like, I think it, you know, if you look at the like legacy of his, like what he's done in commentating, he's never kind of gotten deeper than these kind of like generalities of like, you know, the players got to dig deeper. It's just like, he's got to find another gear. Like he uses this right. body exactly. language. Exactly. It's yeah. like every, the conditions out here are crazy. The conditions are really affecting him. Like what conditions you haven't even told me what the weather is and how it might affect yeah. a player's every game. kind of match. The, you know, he commentates, it's like the same story. And it's like, it's not about like matching up strengths and weaknesses and like that, you know, you can, his one tactic, you know, that he loves to kind of sell is like, you know, approach the net, but like what that does and how that kind of changes the dynamic of the game and, you know, how that kind of fits into the kind of the game as it's played today. Like, you know, it never quite re reveals itself as meaningful as I think he probably understands it, but hasn't been able to communicate it. I think. Yeah. Right. It's all in there. It's totally all in there. Like he, it could be like, even with Raonic, like he was like coaching the guy, <laughs> like I'm sure it could have got pretty deep into what he needed to do, but you do get a lot of like, get in the net, cl close out the angles and serve into the body. Like, I feel like if announcers had their way, it would be a net rush every point and every serve would be into the body because that is like their constant constant advice to every player basically i would just add in contrast i just i, I also have this memory once of like agassi tour it was like right after he retired or right you know right kind of right around that cusp and like he just popped into the booth one time and like started commentating a match <laughs> and like his head was totally in this tactical space he, i think he'd been working with like uh younger players and like and he was talking in like such specific language around like you know the the how, where you hit the ball in terms <laughs> of like I think he was describing it as like this three hundred right. like clock I face or this like three hundred sixty degree and like the height and and you know the kind of height above your body and or down low and like there was just like all this like tactical insight that he was able to communicate within like you know his like twelve second twelve minute window of kind of giving some commentary on just some average match and it like that was like starkly uh, revealing. Agassi in particular is so good in the booth. He occasionally does it for the BBC. Um, and he gets at this idea that we were talking about earlier where you can commentate for the experts or the super fans, but even the casual fans get to walk away with some meaningful insight into the game. Like it's safe to assume that not a lot of people play tennis compared with soccer or football or baseball, You know, even though I'm sure we'd all like that to change. But when you're commentating, you have the ability to give a, a viewer greater understanding and possibly even inspiring them to try to play. Um, what a great goal that would be. And, you know, if you look at McEnroe's commentary in this light, I think it's a bit of a dereliction of duty. 
Right. Even though he does, I mean, he is like a nice personality on there. Like he's a little more lively than like your average person. But yeah, like even like I was thinking one of the best examples that I can think of in terms of like getting strategy into a broadcast was actually his brother. And I think Nadal was playing Burdett or someone, someone who wasn't that fast. And he, he just said, you know, like, like watch, like Nadal won't let uh, Burdick get to his back end. Like there, there was no, he couldn't make Nadal hit a back end. And it became really exciting. It be, like there was like the match within the match of like how quickly he was spinning back to hit his f- forehand on every point. And just, just like that little bit, it was like more exciting than the actual individual points that were playing. It was like the competition of Burdich trying to touch his back. That totally makes sense. Great. And, the, you know, in the, fa- the follow what um, Caitlin was talking about in other sports, like, if anything, I think you can look to like even basketball or, you know, or, or maybe baseball or something for example of like the success of going deeper. Cause I think on one hand you have like all the statistical analysis and like all these kind of folks geeking out on like that kind of way of reading a sport and like how uh, it kind of reveals what's going on. But then you also hear, uh, I think now with like Steph Curry and Golden State, you know, I hear all these very technical things about like how he's practicing with like some sort of like flashing lights and it's meant to kind of improve his capacity to like, uh, you know, deal with the chaos of being on court and kind of keep his focus. And that's helped him be able to kind of read the defender and kind of throw them off balance and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like there's just like, loads of that stuff in like kind of these more popular sports and people eat it up so i you know i'm sure if we kind of venture into it like it'll find an audience a couple times when i've watched simone like they mentioned that he's sort of into like uh like tennis moneyball kind of and like tracking each pattern and stuff and each time i was like i really want to know sort of what he's doing like like he's really into like the pattern of points which kind of makes sense because he's not the biggest hitter in the world so like that's that's what he needs to win and i would like totally love if every once in a while in a broadcast they just talked talked about the pattern and like what he'd learned about the percentages of that pattern for him and vice versa i also think like i you know when i'm if i can if we can get back into like the uh, slamming the media for a minute the uh like one of my examples of the, like kind of low moments in tennis journalism there is uh is charlie rose you know and speaking at federer like back in like 2004, I looked up the the this on YouTube before we got on the call. But the um, uh, Federer had just won the U.S. Open. He had just sure. it was a year when he won three titles. Like you know, still <laughs> uh-huh. kind of you know, obviously just kind of dominating the sport at the moment. But you know, hasn't didn't kind of fully become what he is today. Um, and like it was just like. I remember watching that when I was younger and like it's like 12 years ago now and like thinking about like, oh my God, this is like, you know, I, I like Charlie Rose. I've enjoyed a lot of his interviews. There's things that Charlie Rose knows something about and is passionate about and tennis is not one of them. And like he spent that whole interview fishing around and it just so crudely trying to find a way to kind of like frame this guy and what he was doing in a way that like he could understand and <laughs> he thought the audience could understand. And the low moment of that was like basically asking, you know, the greatest player of his moment, like how he holds a tennis racket and like handed him a tennis racket on, on screen. And it was like asking him how he held a forehand or backhand. And like, <laughs> he was just like, trying to get like a free lesson from Federer. I think I guess I don't know what was happening. I think it was just like I, you know, it's just like that 
I, I think that like at that moment is just like, I feel like the, we're, we're not like asking the questions that need to be asked. You guys have seen Three Amigos, right? About how everyone has their own personal El Guapo. El Guapo is on his way. Someday the people of this village will have to face El Guapo. We might as well do it now. In a way, all of us have an El Guapo to face someday. For some, shyness might be their El Guapo. For others, a lack of education might be their El Guapo. For us, El Guapo is a big dangerous guy who wants to kill us. But as sure as my name is Lucky Dave, the people of Santa Poco can conquer their own personal El Guapo, who also happens to be the actual El Guapo. My personal El Guapo in tennis commentary was Dick Enberg. He no longer calls tennis, but he calls games for the Padres. <laughs> Um, and in addition to that incredibly annoying, oh my, he always used to say, he commits a lot of the sins we've been talking about, nationalism, making distinctions without difference. Um, he sort of famously slobbers over f- attractive female players like this Ivanovich Sharapova Australian Open final of many years past was like pretty gross to watch. Um, and most bizarrely during one also Australian Open, he kept talking about Li Nan Zheng as the Chinese, like in this super weird monolithic way. Ugh, I'm so glad we don't have to listen to him call tennis anymore. It was cringe-inducing. <laughs> okay, so we know who we don't want in the booth. Enberg, McEnroe, Rose. Who do you want to hear from commentating so that we don't end up with how do you hold the racket, Mr. Federer? I mean, I think we, are, we, we already know Agassi would be pretty good. And if it were Agassi-Gilbert, I feel like they would have some good chemistry. I feel like that would be an entertaining... Uh, I like I like these ideas. I think I would add in. I don't know who exactly the right person is, but two types of two, two types of characters. One would be that hyper intellectual who is also had uh, did some playing in their youth, kind of a David Foster Wallace figure. I think that adds a lot in terms of depth and kind of just art, a very articulate kind of um, way of looking at the game. And then another person I'd probably kind of put in there is some sort of like like a like a like a cinematographer or a movie director, somebody who has a sense of story but looks at it in a very visual way and can help kind of frame the beauty of the sport. And I think Wes Anderson, maybe a Wes Anderson. Yeah, it's like because like tennis is like so uniquely abstracted. You know, it's just like abstraction of boxing. You know, within this kind of re- rectangle, and it's just like there's so much. I think to kind of appreciate and it doesn't always translate visually perfectly through television like the speed and the power of the game today doesn't really come across quite like it is when you see in real life but like certainly the um you know just being able to talk about like the best movers and like how you know just being able to kind of put words and kind of put context around like how they move it's just like I I think we need somebody who can perhaps you know as much as like Brad Gilbert is fun to kind of hear talk about like strategy like I need somebody who has more words (laughs) than Brad well it sounds like we've essentially fixed it so take note (laughs) Eric thanks so much for joining us and thank you for listening to the main draw check us out on Acast iTunes uh, any of your favorite podcasters and talk to you soon bye you can't be serious man you cannot be serious that ball was on the line. Shaw flew up. Oh, he's toying with him now. <laughs>